Hey guys, welcome back to the Generation Alpha Podcast. I am your host, Dan Fazio, and I'm so glad to bring you guys back to the podcast. I know it's been a while since we've recorded an episode, but life's been really kind of crazy the past um, few months, so I had to move to a whole different state, you know, get everything set up, how I was going to set up my podcast, you know, um, you know how it all was going to work. So I'm happy you guys stuck with me. If you guys are listening to this, thank you guys for coming back. I am recording this episode with a friend of mine from actually back home. He's a chiropractor, um, you know, a specialist in hormones, um, you know, training. He's a professional bodybuilder, um, and I thought this podcast was just an absolute um, exceptional episode. Um, you know, we deep dive into a lot of great things when it comes to overall hormone health and, you know, and um, eating and nutrition and the keto diet and um, you know, just lots of different things I think you guys are going to be really interested in. So I hope you guys enjoy this episode and, um, you know, please let me know, leave a review down below and, you know, as always guys, um, please make sure to share and like the episode. Thank you guys so much. If you guys are not subscribed, also make sure you subscribe as well. Without further ado, I'm going to let you guys get into the episode. This is me with Dr. Darren Vanskoy. Enjoy, guys. Okay, and we're live. Um, hey, guys, what's up? This is the Generation Alpha Podcast. I'm back, your host, Dan Fazio. I know it's, guys, it's been a while, but I'm back and I have my setup now. I have a very special guest with me today. He's a chiropractor and also is now an IFBB pro bodybuilder. He's also an expert in hormone replacement, overall alternative medicine. He's also a very good friend. Please welcome to the show, Dr. Darren Vanskoy. Thank you so much for coming on. Appreciate it, Dan. Thanks for your time having me on, buddy. Yeah. So um, when you messaged me, I, I was I was like, you know what? I was like, I should get Darren on the on on the uh, on the show because you do have a really good like understanding, you know, way better than like um, a lot of people in your practice. You have a better understanding, I feel like, of um, alternative health and that kind of stuff. So yeah, not not a typical chiropractor, I'd say, just because of experience that I've had. So that helps a lot. Yeah, and I, I feel like you like you know, being a bodybuilder and understanding, um, you know, sort of like the extreme side of dieting and training and all that kind of stuff too. That, you know, I feel like that makes a huge difference because I, I feel like there's, there are a lot of chiropractors that, you know, that train and work out, but, um, I feel like a lot of them, like the majority of them don't. So I feel like that right. also makes you different. Well, and then, you know, the difference of the impact on health too. So. Right. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Extreme, yeah. extreme dieting, extreme cutting, yeah. the, the things that we've been through to be on stage yeah. that you and I both know about that it's 100%. like, you know, yeah. Yeah. And that makes a difference when you've got an understanding of what the extreme of that is to comparing it to, say, an overall aspect of wellness and health. Big yeah, difference. Right. Yeah. So I guess I'll ask you, you know, what, what was your, uh, first of all, how long have you been in chiropractic medicine? I, I don't even know that answer. So almost 20 almost, years. Almost 20 years. Wow. Yeah. What, what got you, what, what got you into like wanting to do that? Well, you know, the funny thing was I was actually, I'd gotten uh, accepted into med school and gotten accepted into PT school. And a buddy of mine called and said, hey, man, he just started chiropractic college. He's like, I think you'll want to do this. You need to come up here and check it out. And I was like, well, whatever. You know, so I went went up, saw him in New York, 
been really just kind of love with fell in love with the principle of you know addressing the core issues, not fixing the symptoms, right? Yeah. And so um, actually, uh, they had actually closed the application process, but because of my MCAT scores, uh, they actually allowed me to go ahead and apply. And I got into that same class. Uh, and that's really where I got started. I didn't know anything about a chiropractor, what a chiropractor did. Right. had nothing, no idea about it. You know, I hadn't even heard of it really. He said, this is what you got to do. Cause he's like, you know, you get the aspects, you're, you can act like a family medicine physician, portal of entry care guy. And yet you can do everything a PT does. Yeah. So I, I, I think like, it's the thing is like, there's, there's so much, um, like there's so much involved with chiropractic medicine now, like there's so much variety, but I think right. most people, when they think of chiropractic medicine, they think of the spine. Why is yeah. that? Why do people? Why do people think of this? Well, just traditional history. I think. I think that's what's been marketed as. I mean, you know, chiropractic tradition started as spine only, and then it's just progressed as science has progressed and research has progressed. See the benefit of manipulation uh, outside the areas of the spine, uh, you know, to the to the extremity joints and those types of areas. And I think that really just as research and and probably anecdotal evidence has built up people going, okay, there's a lot more that chiropractic can benefit. And then it's just expanded from there. And so now you see you guys specializing in sports physician, uh, internal medicine, chiropractic radiologist, chiropractic, you name it, internal. I mean, there's everything, internists. Um, there's a few programs in the country now that they're looking at uh, so that chiropractors are be the doctor of chiropractic medicine. They'll actually be able to write scripts. So it's a field, it's a, it's a profession that's progressing, but yet is very steeped in tradition. So it's kind of like at war with itself. Yeah. So it, it's sort of like almost now it's almost turning into like osteopathic medicine. almost. It, it's kind of headed where osteopathic medicine used to be. I mean, osteopathic medicine was based in roots of manipulation, kind of on different principles, but shoot, there's hardly any osteopathic doctors now that even manipulate or mobilize joints at all. They're pretty much just a practicing allopathic physician. Right. Yeah. I, I think a lot of people um, just get it because they only have to do one year of residency. They don't have to right. specialize really. Um, they just go to DO school and then they go and do the residency. And then like now they can run, you know, do a full clinic and you get, you know, full autonomy, oh, yeah. full autonomy prescribing, all that kind of stuff. So, yeah, there is no difference between an MD and a DO now as far as practice goes. And special. Right. Yeah, there is no difference. Yeah, I know. So, that. I looked into that because I was like, I was like, I get tired of um, working with all these people and um, not being able to like, you know, because I we we were working with a guy um, who I thought was going to be a good fit uh, for running like you know our medicine side of you know our business and that kind of stuff and right, um, you know, he just kind of you know turned out to kind of be unreliable and then so we switched and went and uh, started working with um, another company. Um, and it's just like, and, and they're doing fine. They're doing a fine job right now with all of our clients. Um, but it's just like some things, you know, people come to you and they want certain things. And like, you look at somebody's blood work and you're like, mm, you know, maybe if they just had this, or you look at their genetics and you're like, right. maybe if they just had this. And it's like a lot of those things you have to prescribe or you have to talk to them as a physician. Um, if you, if I go as the, you know, the connection as the liaison and talk to the medical center and tell them, you know, even though, you know, they're in business with us, you know, not our clients specifically, um, you know, it's hard for me to go because they don't, they're not understanding, you know, what genetics, you know, what, what the difference between epigenetics is and what role that plays in someone's health and just right. showing them a piece of paper and being like, Hey, this person needs this because they have this specific gene. They're going to be like, yeah, you know, I'm not going to take that risk. 
so it's just kind of hard to like work with people like that. And I was like looking at, you know, what would I have to do to just go ahead and, you know, get full autonomy prescribing uh, myself. But I was like, I don't have that kind of time to. It, it takes some time. Yeah. I mean, shoot, we're still dealing with people here. I mean, physicians, you know, in this area that go strictly by running blood work and looking at TSH and telling patients whether they're thyroid, whether they have a good functioning thyroid or not. I mean, they don't even look at T3, T4. They literally look right. just TSH, go by TSH values and say, oh, your thyroid's fine. Right. And they have no idea whether it is or not. You know, and yeah. we're still dealing with that kind of educational background, and I guess, and aspect of the profession, let alone trying to come into this area and trying to explain to somebody, listen, treatment plan with this genetic outlay and how this works, we need to, they're not even going to begin to look at that. We're not even going to listen to you right. and just be like, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I, I, like, I think like this company now, like they are look a little bit more like on the cutting edge of stuff. So they're, you know, they're willing to do more stuff than most people are. And, and I think it's, that's, that's one good thing about them. It's just the, um, just the fact that I was like, you know, I wish I just have, didn't have to go through someone else to get it right. done. Cause you know, they did, um, one thing I, you know, I was kind of surprised about is like a little bit of like a cookie cutter thing that they kind of do with our clients. And um, like, you know, I, we have clients that, um, you know, are on TRT and, you know, the first thing they shove down their throat is they have them do the, buy the HCG and the Arimidex at the same time. And, um, you know, I, I, I told, you know, a lot of my clients, you know, tell them, they're like, well, you know, um, so what do I do with this stuff? Do I take this stuff too? Or just, just take testosterone? I'm like, Right. And I'm like, well, I'm like, you know, taking, you can take HCG. It's not going to like, you know, do anything against you, but it's like, you know, it's like throwing sand on a beach. It's like, is there more sand on the beach now? It's like, yeah, technically, but it, can you tell if there's more sand on the beach? No, you can't. Right. More sand on the beach. And, and for the money that you're going to spend and the cash you're going to put out for what results <laughs> yeah, exactly. are really going to impact, you know, what are your goals? What's your direction? Why, why are you doing that? Yeah. Yeah. I mean like there were guys who like, who are in their fifties who are like, they've had, they have three kids. Like they don't want to have kids anymore. Like they're done having children, you know what I mean? They could care less. Um, so like, um, they're not, they're not trying to um, get somebody pregnant. Um, so it's just, you know, it's just, they're just trying to raise the bill. I think in my opinion, when I saw those kind of things and, you know, I I don't know how you feel about this and I'll go ahead and ask you, how how do you feel about using, um, like, um, aromatase inhibitors or, you know, estrogen blockers as some people would know them, um, in in this combination with TRT. I'm a I'm a big fan of blood work and metrics. You know that, right? Yeah. So really, I'm I'm for hey, let's start a treatment plan, do blood work, and adjust the blood work per the treatment. You know, and see let's see what the adjust the treatment plan for what the blood work says. You know, right, yeah. Exactly. Uh, I'm all for it because you'll see some patients. You know, some you'll see some patients that will respond. Exact age. I mean, everything physiologically, they look like they'd be the same, but yet they react completely different to the TRT. Right, hundred percent. And so, and you know, it's so individualized that you really it's a customized thing, and I think that's where everybody loses it is they just it's just like you said it's kind of a cookie cutter thing. Right. And so, I'm I'm big into yes, let's use it if we need it. Yeah. You know, let's have it at our disposal, educate the patient about it, and say, listen, these could be the problems we could run into. We're going to start you on this therapy. After six weeks, we're going to run the blood work. We're going to see what the metrics are. We'll see if your estrogen levels start to go up. What happens with if any kind of progesterone issues start to arise, anything like that, and educate the patient. Say, this is what we will do then, so then they're not surprised. But as far as just blanketly giving them a script for it and starting, I don't really see what – I'm not into that. I'm not really for it. Yeah. Right. 
with with the effects of like um, the effects of like Remedex and stuff that has on like bone density and that kind of stuff. Do, do you feel like it'd be it would be more effective to put someone on, on a Remedex if their estrogen were to get over forty or fifty as a guy? Obviously, it's going to be too high if it's over fifty. Oh, Usually for sure. Like, for like for me, like if if I have a guy and he's like in the forties, it's like. I'm like, you know, it's, it's not too big of an issue. Like, I don't, I don't no. think it's too big of an issue because you, well, you have to have estrogen to be healthy. Especially right? if he's healthy. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And, and then looking at what the symptoms are, is, is he demonstrating anything? Are there anything, you know, is there anything showing up that in his, you know, daily activities? I mean, you know, are there symptoms, issues? If not, if they're completely asymptomatic, then don't worry about it. Right. Yeah. Do you think, though, it'd be better to lower the testosterone dosage or to just go ahead and go on the Arimidex? Uh, you know, I guess really it'd be uh, kind of looking at it and say, well, listen, if we lower the testosterone dosage, then are we going to see any decrease in the benefits? I see. Yeah. Right. You know what I'm saying? So that's the big thing. Cause you know, as well as I do, you can have somebody with a 700 level of testosterone doing just as well. as Somebody's got a 1200 level. Right. So, you know, it depends on where their level is. You know, I like to see patients somewhere between that eight, you know, especially guys that are really active. Um, somewhere between, you know, 700 and a thousand, right. Uh, and that'll vary some, you know, 800 to 1200, you know, some, but, uh, it just depends on where they're at when they start having or expressing those, you know, like those issues that we would say, okay, do we want to start an AI? Do we want to start, you know, something else, or do we want to drop the testosterone level down? So it would depend on if we're going to drop it down out of what I would consider to be a therapeutic dosage, then I would say, no, let's not do that. Start them on an AI. If right. we've got room to play with, drop the testosterone down, see what happens with the estrogen levels, and go from there. Could you do something more like a like a serum, like doing like something like? Um, oh yeah, uh, I'm sure you could. Yeah. Yeah. You know, like, the serum could be very effective, and again, um, it just depends. The problem you're running with the serums, you know as well as I do, it's a quality issue sometimes. Yeah, that's true so, for sure. And and then you've got patients too that when you try to explain. SARMs and SARS to SARMs to them, they don't really get it. It's kind of a research project or research product. And they're like, wait a minute, I'm a guinea pig. What's going on here? How do I know what the legitimacy of these products are? Uh, and so that just depends on the patient, honestly. But real SARMs can be very effective at that point for sure. What, what's and, the one? What's the popular one they run for estrogen? I can't even think of the name. I I I know it. Um, I literally I I know it in the back of my brain 100. percent But it's like. Um, we haven't, you know, I haven't really been using a lot of the serums lately. Um, I know I'm, I'm having an issue with it too. Um, yeah. We'll go on here in a second. We'll come back. All right. All right. All right. Sounds good. Yeah. Um, but basically, I like, came in from a, I just came in from a horse that was out there in colicking. So yeah, yeah. So yeah, for those of you who don't know, Darren lives on a farm, so he has a lot of animals in his backyard, and he had a horse that was choking before we did this. Uh, yeah, we were supposed to start a bit earlier today. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's all right though. Yeah, it's good. The, the horse is more important than the podcast. So yeah, he was having issues, but he's, he's going to be all right. We thought That's we were going to have to call an emergency vet, but we're good yeah. now. But yeah, <laughs> That's good. Um, so yeah. So anyway, so um, when you're looking at people with like, I think like like you said with testosterone replacement, um, when we're looking at females. Um, you know, what level do you consider for females where it's like getting too high? Cause I think that's a big debate is like, do females, um, you know, a lot of females don't even understand or, uh, you know, get that they actually sometimes do need testosterone replacement therapy. 
especially right. when they're over 50, um, you know, on top of their estrogen replacement. Um, and, you know, what, what are the levels that you're looking at there? You know, what do you well, think, you know, what, what are levels females, that are too high? Low, you know, lower is always better. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Yeah. hundred percent. I agree. Again, it's going in and, and it's, and it's looking specifically at, um, you know, where they're at, their, their diet, their activity level, um, I'm I, I'm pretty wary of, of getting females on even minimally high doses whatsoever, just because you you don't want to start changing characteristics, uh, and you know that's the big thing. You see that you know, you know as well as I do. You see that so often uh, when oh, the yeah. females. Yeah, I mean their voice gets deeper. I mean you can get facial structure changes, and they do respond pretty. You know. I wouldn't say it's consistent at all. I mean, it's just, it's crazy how it's so individualized again with the women. Um, but I'm a big advocate for it. If, if they're having symptoms that would dictate the prescription of that for them. Yeah. Um, but you know, I've seen, it's just all over the place. Again, I'm a big advocate for the blood work issue and then finding out, you know, and say, okay, let's start at a minimal dosage, work our way up, Right. And then when, when we see a change or expression in the symptoms or complaint that we're, we're trying to change, stop at that dosage. And so. How important, know. well, I'll say, sorry, sorry to interrupt you. Um, how important do you think, um, so like I'll tell you, a lot of people don't understand. So there's, there's total testosterone levels inside the body and then there's free testosterone or the testosterone that's being used inside the body. Right. What, are you looking at ratio wise when you're looking at um, free levels and what can you do? Do you think to like free, free up more testosterone? If you, even if you're like doing testosterone replacement and you're still seeing a lot of testosterone being binded up. Right. Well, then you start looking at cortisol levels, obviously. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. And then sleep patterns, of course, the diet, um, that's going to be the biggest cortisol is huge. And most people don't really understand what that effect has on the actual functional level of testosterone within the bloodstream and what, you know, your body can utilize. That's usually the first thing I'll start looking at and then start looking at how can we decrease the cortisol level, stress, diet, uh, activity, you know, whatever it is. Uh, that's going to be the first thing really that I'll start with is looking at the, the cortisol levels and see what impact that's having on uh, the, the TRT or the testosterone that, you know, that's actually the functional part of it that we want to, you know, that we want to have at a good level. Um, so like heart rate, heart rate variability, basically is what you're saying. Like, right. Yeah. And yeah. that's going to be a big issue. So, I mean, you know, it just, and of course that's a big difference between men and women on that, but the cortisol is a huge marker. I mean, that's a standard that I run, uh, anytime I'm running any kind of the panels, um, We'll run, we run cortisol both for, on the men's side and women's side every time. Right, yeah. It gets so yeah, much yeah, change, especially if you find a functional working dosage for somebody that they've been, um, you know, adapted at or stable at for, let's say, six months. But until then, we're, we're constantly going, I'm going to look at cortisol levels and see where we're at and see how the patient's reacting to the levels that we're at. Yeah, I, I, you know, I think a lot of times, too, like people um, don't understand, like, what uh, – what cortisol is even used for inside the body. Um, you, you know, it's basically the reason that you get such a surge of cortisol um, at nighttime is so the fact that it, you know, it's going to protect you from, you know, running too high blood sugars in the middle of the night. 
So it's right. going so to you help you keep your balance. Right. right. Yeah. It helps you keep your balance between ends. So it is necessary for life, but too much, too much cortisol, too much, you know, <laughs> too much of the time is going to have some pretty nasty effects and people aren't. Well, a lot of it's just our stress levels. I mean, that's the thing. Yeah. People aren't sleeping well and, you know, sleeping enough. Uh, they're working too long. Their diets are terrible. And so all of those, all those majorly play into the fact of how, you know, whatever, testosterone replacement we're doing, whatever the therapy of the regimen is, how effective it's going to be. And so it's just one of the things you got to look at. I mean, you absolutely need it. We want it, but we don't want it too high. It's just like anything right. else. But people just don't realize how much of an impact it can have on the functional part of the therapy, you know, that we're trying to gain benefit from. So when you're looking at guys, when you're, let's go back to guys for a second. Also, um, Novadex is the, uh, is the word we were, I was trying to think of. Sure, earlier. Yeah. Yeah, I'm sorry. <laughs> we're back. We're back on that. So, um, anyway, so going back to guys, um, basically, when guys are experiencing testosterone inside their body, it's going to go into either you know it's going to either aromatize into estrogen, be used as free testosterone, or it's going to be converted into dihydrotestosterone, which is known as DHT which is right. sort of known as, you know, the bad version of testosterone, which is, you know, too much of it's going to cause hair loss, you know, um, prostate, you know, enlargement, that kind of stuff. Right. If we're looking at TRT and we notice that there's, you know, six months down the road, we do run blood work again. And let's say DHT starts, you know, creeping up, getting a little bit too high. What's your go-to method for getting DHT back down? Uh, well, one, we'll look at see probably what type of testosterone they're on. So we right. could look at switching the different type of testosterone with different ester. Um, then, I mean, you know, a lot of it, I'm a big fan of, of using, you know, aromacin or the uh, uh, Arimidex. Uh, we have a lot of really good results with it. Um, and then, you know, some of the other, you get into some of the other SERMs and SARMs that are really good as far as counteracting prostate issues for the men. Um, then we'll start looking at some of those as well, too. Uh, right. A lot of the SARMs that were established for muscle wastage and preventing those types of things actually have a lot of really good positive benefits. For instance, on, you know, you look at RAD 140 uh, as far as uh, the BPH issues with men, uh, just as a side effect for it. So that's one of the things that we'll use to manage is RAD 140 a lot of times. Um, so there's a lot of different things out there, and just depending on what, what else is going on with the patient, whether, say, let's say triglyceride levels are, or what their cholesterol levels are. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so because we don't, you know, that's where it starts getting tricky because we don't want to use some type of regimen that decreases one metric but increases the other to the point sure. that we're going to address that metric as well too. Right. So I, um, let's uh, let's jump into SARMs actually real quick for just a second. So. I know you're a big advocate of um, SARMs, you know, especially like not only um, for just for, you know, regular people, just for kind of giving them an edge, but also for performance enhancement as well. Go ahead and kind of explain uh, what SARMs are just so people can get a basic understanding who may not understand who are listening. Well, on SARMs, so what we're looking at with SARMs is instead of having a generalized effect on the body, they have a very specific site that they bind to a receptor site. And so they're a lot more specific in their action. And so you have a lot less side effects with SARMs. And so there's several different types of SARMs have different types of actions from preventing muscle wastage to increasing muscle mass, increasing lean body mass, uh, helping an individual um, increase fat metabolism, fat utilization for energy. 
there's a number of SARMs and they all have different types of activities, but they're all very specific in what they do. And so they're quite different from, let's say, using testosterone where you get a broad spectrum of uh, possible side effects because it's not as specific in what it does or what ta- or where it attaches to the receptor sites and how it's bound. Right. That's a good, ex- that's a good, that's a good explanation. I like that. Um, yeah, it's very specific. Yeah. <laughs> I think like a lot of people, um, you know, that they, they start relating everything they hear um, when it comes to anything that has to do or deal with performance enhancement, um, anything that's kind of like on the outside, um, you know, most people are going to relate that to um, just one common word. You know what that word is? It's steroids. Yeah. So, um, I, I, yeah, that's something I, I, I want to break into. I am going to get into that at the end of the interview. Um, we're going to talk about that for just a little bit. So I think it is something that's like all of a sudden it's kind of like that topic is making a major comeback here in the in the past couple months for some reason. I don't know why. I don't know where it's coming from. Uh, there's a lot of talk about it, that's for sure. There's a yeah. lot of talk about, you know, stuff, you know, just people, you know, YouTube videos, you know, it's just that that topic of conversation is getting real popular. So we'll, well jump into we'll jump into that. so much more open about it. That's yeah, that it's is it's so taboo. You know, nobody really wanted to talk about it, say what their regimen was, what protocol they were on. And everybody's out right. there, everybody's putting it out there now and what they're doing. Yeah. What what's changed in that, I don't know, but it has definitely changed. <laughs> We'll, we'll jump into that here in just a little bit. Um, first, I, you know, I want to go back to, um, you know, we talked a little bit about, about how much diet um, is so responsible for making sure that we're, our hormones are staying regulated. Even if, even if we're replacing our hormones inside of our body, making sure that they're being utilized in the correct way and, and how much, you know, diet can play a vital role into that. Now, um, you know, a big topic of conversation right now and for the past couple of years um, has been the keto diet. Um, it's like right. the top of the, you know, top of the food chain when it comes to diets right now, it is like the, you know, set in stone. I think like in the past year, it's actually kind of even converted even farther. It's like now we're moving into more of like the carnivore diet that's becoming, like it's taken over. It's being real popular. So, um, you're a big keto advocate. I know you did the keto diet for like a long time. You were like About just eating years, keto. Yeah. yeah you're just eating keto, like hundred percent keto lifestyle. Um, I want to kind of talk about what the average person can expect, you know, and, and how genetics will play a role into them responding from the keto diet, different versions of the keto diet to do. Cause I think some people don't understand that there's more than one way to eat keto. A lot of people right. think it's like, you know, mayonnaise on bacon. And that's not like, that's not <laughs> just the, that is not, yeah. I mean, there's a lot of people I think that ruin it. You know what I mean? They, they start doing these like fads and they kind of get in, in these certain things. Then like people get this specific idea and they, you know, so we'll go into all the common misconceptions and everything about that. And, um, but let's go ahead and start with um, just kind of explain to people um, what the keto diet is um, and sort of why it's become so beneficial, why a lot of people, why it does well for a lot of people when it comes to weight loss and that kind of stuff. Just give a brief, brief explanation. Yeah. So keto diets basically shortened for the ketogenic diet. And so ketones are another form of energy, just like carbohydrates or proteins. Uh, ketones are produced from the breakdowns of fats. And there's a lot of studies out there that show up, uh, very clinical studies that show that our body is actually more able or more efficiently able to use ketones as energy than what uh, we can use carbohydrates or proteins. And there's a lot of benefits to using those ketones because you're basically carrying an energy source around with you. 
so the big thing with that is that, you know, you're looking at a diet that's going to comprise primarily, let's say, 70 to 75% of fat. And then you're going to have maybe 15 to 20% protein and 5% carbohydrate. So it's going to be a very low, minimal carbohydrate diet, trying to completely eliminate sugars altogether. And so it's a completely different lifestyle. Um, it's a different way of eating, but it's a very natural way of eating. Uh, you know, and you think people just have a very limited view of fats. They don't realize that almonds, walnuts, uh, eggs, then you start looking at coconut oil and avocados and the things out there that have a lot of the good fats that our body needs. They don't look at that really as a fat source per se. I guess it's just not even considered a lot of times until they get, I guess, educated. Um, and, you know, we're just so used to hearing, oh, it's a low-fat diet, high-carb, you know, low-fat, high-protein, you know, low-sugar. But how many years would we hear low-fat, 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 low-fat? Well, then what happened is hormones were getting driven into the ground because what's the basis for, for construction? <laughs> and yeah. yeah, right. That's the thing. Our body has to have, it's the building block for making hormone uh, production or hormone production, basic hormone production. So, you know, we'll see these guys come in our office all the time that have been strict, high, you know, high protein, low carb, very low fat, or, you know, mix of of protein and carb and very low fat, and the hormones are in the tank. Thyroid dysfunction, they've got uh, low T levels, women's estrogen, progesterone balances are all out of whack, and it's because they've had no fat in their diet, and their body really doesn't know what to do about it. It can't manufacture, produce, or metabolize hormones as it should, and so it creates all kinds of health problems associated with that. So that's the benefit of the, the keto diet is because then when we're dropping all of these carbohydrates out of our diet, we're not holding water internally like we were, uh, and so that, that puts a lot of uh, lot less de- uh, stress on the cardiovascular system. And then the other thing that we're doing is because we're eliminating a lot of the carbohydrates and, and cheap energy sources, we're getting rid of a lot of the, the genetically modified foods as well. And so that makes a huge difference over in the overall aspects of health. And so by dropping the carbohydrates, we drop triglyc- triglyceride levels. Then we'll start seeing because we've dropped the carbohydrates, our body turns to fat as an energy source. We're going to see cholesterol levels go down. We're going to see people that have fatty liver or steatosis, uh, livers, you know, starting to normalize and return back to normal function, normal size, uh, because they're actually utilizing that internal body fat as a fuel source. And that's what we want. And so that's the big thing. And there's a ton of studies out there showing that the brain actually does much better with ketones as a fuel source than glucose or glycogen that we get from the carbohydrates that we eat. So when you look at it overall, I mean, most people don't realize for every ounce or, or um, gram of, of carbohydrates you take in, it takes four ounces, basically four times that in the amount of water to process that carbohydrate. So when we're eating a high carbohydrate diet, we inherently have to hold a lot of body water, which puts stress on the kidneys, puts stress on the heart to process those carbohydrates. So then when we drop those carbohydrates out of our diet, we drop a lot of that internal water extracellular, you know, water and it and makes a big difference in the overall health. Right. That's a great explanation of, you know, overall, do you think also um, that eating a higher fat diet is going to also play a better role in HDL cholesterol consumption, uh, which is so important for health. So that's, you know, our good cholesterol. Right. Do you think that intaking more fat, obviously, because that's where cholesterol is coming from. It's coming from mostly fattier sources it's not going to come so much from leaner sources of foods correct um i think there's a big yeah and that's what we've seen over you know over the long period i've we've been i've probably had 70 
70 to 80, 80 patients or so on our program that that's specifically what we do is we go through our tribal program, put them on the keto diet, monitor them. They come in for weekly office visits and very, actually, I don't know of any of them that have actually gone back to a regular diet because they feel so good. But the big thing is the metrics, looking at the blood work. I mean, I've had patients come in nearing kidney failure um, and, you know, triglycerides through the roof, carb cholesterol levels through the roof. And then we switch them over to a strict keto diet with healthy fats. And then six months down the road, They've got normal functioning kidneys. They've got normal glomerular filtration rates. They've got normal triglyceride levels. Their cholesterol levels have come down drastically. Um, and a lot of times we've got their family physicians who the whole time are big naysayers going, don't do that. It's terrible for you. It's not healthy. Then all of a sudden, six months down the road, they're looking at their metrics going, wow, this is incredible. I can't believe how much healthier of a person you are. Right. So you'll see it because, right, a lot of people, you know, there's issues. I mean, just the diet's so bad that they don't have any access or any, I guess, basic foundation of nutrients to be able to have the HDL levels where they should be. And so low HDL or the low good cholesterol is just as bad, if not worse, than having a high bad cholesterol. Right. So we'll see patients, their, their HDL levels will elevate significantly under the keto diet when they're doing correctly and, and taking, I mean, like you said, it's not a sausage and bacon diet. Right. You know, yeah. a lot of plants, a lot of salads, a lot of good foods for you. And then the fats that we're taking in are not, you know, fatty meats. It's the clean meats, it's fish, it's nuts, legumes, those types of things. Big difference in what people have out there is like the misnomer, I guess, what they would call the dirty keto diet or whatever. Yeah. <laughs> right. Um, so, I, I, yeah, that's another thing is what I was going to say is I was going to get into that. So, it, you know, I think what people need to understand is it's very possible is what you're saying to even if you have were to have a genetic propensity to not do well, with saturated fats in your diet and even have a propensity to carry more, you know, fat gain from a high saturated fat diet, you could do a keto diet with um, no saturated fat or very low saturated fats. Very minimal saturated fat, correct. Yeah. And right. so we're going to see even still a positive outcome with that in a person that's, you know, a bad fat carrier, basically, you know, because there are genetics that that's just the way they are. Right. Uh, yeah. Yeah, we're going to see that because, as I said, we're going to concentrate on the good fats that are heart-healthy fats, and that makes a big difference than the fats you get, you know, saturated animal fats. The people right. think, again, like I said, there's that term out there, it's the dirty keto term. Um, and I guess dirty or lazy keto, whatever you want to call it, because they don't want to go through the effort of actually eating clean the way that the diet's actually meant to be done. So, right. And, you know, you're not going to see the results there either. They're still going to have great results because you're still dropping the carbohydrates out. So you're going to see... A, a rapid weight loss at the very beginning because of all the body water you're going to drop. Um, of course, you're going to start using, you're still going to utilize some internal fat stores. You're just not going to get the health benefits that you're going to see from somebody that's eating the clean, really clean, healthy fats and utilizing those uh, as part of their keto diet or what they would call the strict keto diet. Yeah. Yeah. It's, uh, the reason I asked that actually is because I, so I have a client that I just finished her genetic report um, yesterday and uh, so we were going over um, her new, um, her new like change diet to how we're going to change it today. And uh, what's what's funny is is like her genetics actually point her point her to do a keto diet. Like she does much better with doing a higher fat, you know, more moderate protein, little to no carbohydrate based diet, right. which is going to be a keto diet. But what's funny is is that she has a really bad propensity to do, you know, not so well with saturated fat. 
So it was like, you know, this is what we're going to have to eat and we're going to have to kind of stay away from this kind of stuff. But luckily she told me today, she was like, she goes, she goes, I don't eat meat. So, um, so it might actually be a little bit easier than, uh, yeah. than I thought it was. So it's, you know, it's going to be kind of uh, difficult to kind of get her to stay away from the, uh, vegan products that she really likes to eat. So she likes to eat like, you know, the vegan burgers, that kind of stuff. And, uh, kind of get her to stay away from, you know, corn oil, canola oil, that kind of stuff. Yeah, because you get in a lot of carbohydrates with the vegan. Yeah, it's a yeah, thing. That's you a just don't realize black beans, there's a ton. I mean, yeah, they're healthy for you, but they got a lot of carbohydrates. And and so, you know, you get in those those types of things as substitutes and you're, you know, you're getting into an issue where you can be a vegan and have an unbelievably high insulin resistance because of the amount yeah. of carbohydrates that you're eating because of, you know, they just, they're not educated on it is really what it comes down to. Yeah, I know a guy who just he literally just drinks a um like like a like he drinks like he buys one of those Tropicana orange orange things. Yeah. And he just literally he just you know, he just walks around just drinking that thing. And I'm like, that you know, that's not, not that's sugar. not that's not veganism. <laughs> like what what is this? You know what I mean? This is this is all sugar diet. Yeah, it's the high anybody sugar can diet. Do it. Anybody can do that diet. Yeah, um, it makes yeah, a huge difference. And that's, you know, part of the, that, that you see the results with is that, you know, when you get on the keto diet, people, so many people in our society are insulin resistant. They don't right. really realize, you know, in, insulin basically just acts as a shuttle. All it does is it takes nutrients from outside the cell into the cell. And after, you know, you've got such a high blood sugar level for a while, that insulin just doesn't function like it should. And, this, and the cell becomes resistant to it. Mm-hmm. And so your cells literally start to starve to death because they're not getting the nutrients. Right. And so you switch people over the keto diet, and it's like six weeks into it, they can't believe their energy levels, how well they're sleeping. Uh, a lot of times they'll even gain weight but look a lot better. I've seen patients left and right, both men and women, that will actually gain a little bit of weight, but yet their dress size or the pant size goes down because their nutrients are actually getting to the cells. The cells are volumizing with proteins. They're actually getting muscle. They're doing things that they've not been able to do before because that insulin resistance has been basically counteracted and, and shut off, and the insulin's acting the way it should because of lack of carbohydrates in their diet. So yeah, it makes a huge difference. People just don't realize how bad sugar can be for you. I mean, it can be utilized and, and made a good thing, but it, you know, for the most part of the general society, it's bad. <laughs> right. Yeah. A hundred percent. No. Yeah. And, and that's, that's, that's what I want to get into. I want to get into um, like high performance athletes. So, you know, sort of like people like bodybuilders, explosive type athletes that are working more towards, muscle hypertrophy. So sp- sprinters, not so much long distance runners, but, you know, sprinters, power lifters, um, bodybuilders, um, you know, football players, even, you know, offensive and defensive linemen, um, you know, people that have to use extreme explosive power um, right off the bat and, you know, have to work a lot on hypertrophy in their muscles. Do you think that you can achieve, let's say, let's go to bodybuilding for a second, because that is what you do and what I do. So let's talk. Can you build a bodybuilding style physique on a keto diet? I think that you can you can build a very striated, lean, shredded physique on a keto diet. But getting that's a, that's a good answer. I agree with that. Yeah, the, the, getting the large muscle density and hypertrophy is very. I can tell you, just from personal experience, is very difficult. I mean, you've eliminated a food source completely out of your diet, right. and so. When you're looking at, you know, hypertrophy and density, um, you, you, you've got to bring those carbohydrates in and actually manage carbohydrates maybe around your workouts. And so that, you know, I don't think that you have to eat a ton of carbohydrates to put on size and density. 
It's when you eat those carbohydrates is going to be the key. Um, but it's going to be very difficult for, for a, a strict keto athlete to put the kind of size and density on to be competitive in bodybuilding with people that are eating a regular diet, very clean. Right. I mean, what I always say is like what I always tell, um, I've had, cause I've had people come to me and, you know, and say that you know, I want to be your size, but they go, but I want to eat, you know, but I, I'm on a keto diet and I want to, I want you to tell me how to do it. My keto diet. And that, and, and the way that I explained to them is that, you know, I said, you know, basically what people don't understand is they think that the only building block for building and repairing muscle is protein. What they don't know right. is fat is also an essential building block for building and repairing muscle protein. So basically when you're utilizing just fat and proteins, um, some of that protein is going to be turned into, you know, glycogen for the muscle because you're doing a lot of more muscle hypertrophy based stuff. So a lot right. of that protein is going to be turned into, you know, glycogen through gluconeogenesis inside the liver for the muscle to actually have energy in your workout. And then that fat is going to be used for your outside energy when you're just doing your daily life going around. So and you're going to, you're going to be having a lower muscle. propensity. Right. 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 Yeah. So like then, so that way, basically, so you're wasting away those two pieces where you could be that, that are supposedly, you know, supposed to be, you know, they're, they're being used for, you want them to be used to build and repair muscle when you're trying to grow. You don't want to try to use them to try to keep your body functioning. If you want to lose and maximize fat loss, obviously a different story, right? Huge difference, yeah. You, you want them to be utilized for energy sources. However, um, when we're trying to build as much muscle as possible, we want to put carbohydrates in the diet so that way we have a fuel source to spare the proteins and the fats so they can be used for what they're made to do inside the body. Especially instantaneous fuel source that can be utilized very right. easy and very quickly. Again, that's why it said about like, you know, kind of timing your, your carbohydrate ingestion around your workouts. Yeah. Well, you know, if it's something that's a concern for you and you're trying to keep your carbohydrates level as low as possible, time it around your workouts because that's when you need them the most. Yeah. And then that will allow the fats and the proteins later in the evening and, and later on at night to be utilized for repair, regeneration, and actually building up and hypertrophying that muscle. Yeah, makes a huge difference. And so, you know, that that's the big aspect of it. I mean, now, if you're an endurance athlete, keto is phenomenal. I mean, when I was right. doing sports, I mean, it, it, it increased my uh, performance unbelievably. I mean, I'm running these races, 18, 19 miles, guys are popping glucose packets left and right beside me, you name it. And then they're coming across the finish line about dead. And I felt great. I mean, it was great after, you know, I, I went a year doing Spartan races on a regular, you know, clean diet, you know, your higher carbohydrate, protein, low fat. And then when we switched over to, to the keto diet, performance went through the roof. And the races actually got on, almost on the easy side as far as getting through the race and then with the recovery afterwards. I mean, I carried my fuel source with me. And right, so exactly. a huge difference, but that's an endurance. Let's looking at it from a perspective as, as an endurance athlete, completely different muscle requirement than a physique athlete, or like you said, a power or a ballistic type of athlete that's got to have extreme strength and output very quickly, very immediately for a short period of time. You've got to have that muscle density, that muscle hypertrophy, muscle thickness. Uh, it's very difficult because if you're not on a carbohydrate diet, like you said, you're using your fats and your proteins just for functional use just to yeah. make it through the day. There's no store there to build up extra tissue um, at the end of the day or to repair tissue damage because you've utilized it just for normal body function. 
So it, it is, it's difficult on the keto diet. Um, it can be done, but the problem is so many, it's just really difficult. You've got to be very, very, I guess when I say anal retentive or, you know, very, very specific in watching your, your ketones and where your blood sugars are and how they affect your ketone levels. And most right. people just want to get into that because, I mean, you're talking about somebody that has to, you'd have to be checking your ketone levels every time you eat, you know how, say, whey protein would affect your blood levels or how, uh, if you right. just amount of uh, jasmine rice, something very low glycemic index that you could use as a fuel source. Uh, but yet some people it's going to kick right out of ketosis. Some people it's not. And so that's a difficult side of it. I mean, it can be done, but it's just, it's, it's really hard to do. And it doesn't take a whole lot of carbohydrates to kick you out of ketosis. So, I mean, that's the hard part about it. Right. Um, let's talk about some common misconceptions uh, when it comes to the keto um, sort of, you know, what's, what are some of the things that you get from people where you think that, you know, I think the number one thing that I hear all the time is people think that, um, you know, people on a keto diet don't eat plants. Um, I think that's like a big misconception. Oh, no, they really just think it's literally just like sausage and, and bacon, right? Right. Sausage, bacon, and right. Yeah. And they don't realize that plants have fat. <laughs> so, yeah. You know, and so th- that's a huge misconception. Um, and then I think that a lot of it is that there's the other misconception, you know, some of the other ones are going to be, you know, you're always going to be hungry. That's, it's hard to find food. You can't find sweet things. They don't realize that, you know, you can't have sugar, so you can't have anything sweet. I mean, there's a lot out there and, you know, it's the keto diets become so popular. There's very little things that you would say, enjoy in your diet that you can't figure out a way to convert over to becoming a keto food. And so, right. you know, the, that is definitely one of the things that people just don't realize that plants have a huge, huge part and huge part to play in a keto diet. Yeah. I mean, I think people are looking more at, you know, they're, they're thinking that it's going to be like more centered around towards a um, standard American diet and that it's, you know, going to be something like that with just, you know, the, it's, it's the burger without the bun diet. Right? Burgers, yeah. Cheeseburger yeah. without the bread. Yeah. Right. Right. Yeah, huge misconception, right. Again, that's not what you would call that the dirty keto, I guess. Yeah. Approach right. yeah. <laughs> you're not going to Five Guys and getting a you know, burger bowl. No, you're not going to live on that. Uh, <laughs> you, you won't see good metrics come out of that, right. No, yeah, for sure. I think, And I, I think there's some people that do end up doing that, and then they go and get their blood work tested, and they're surprised, I think, at um, you know how bad their LDL comes out with it and they're like, wait, I thought this was supposed to go down. I thought it was supposed to be healthier and all this stuff. Like, saturated fat. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. also the other thing is, is like, I think a lot of times they're doing, you know, really bad fats on top of that. So they're adding stuff in like, you know, canola oil and trans fats and that kind of stuff on top of it. Um, because they're eating, huge, yeah. Yeah, yeah. They're eating these foods that are not making their body any cleaner. And, um, you know, and in the day they're not getting any healthier. They've just dropped, you know, a carbohydrate source. And right, so they've lost some weight, but they're not. They're kind of like that skinny fat or the you know the skinny unhealthy right. person, right? And would so you that, would you consider? Sorry, um, would you consider the uh, like stuff like? So I think on the one thing that people like need to know is like they want to know about like condiments that they can use on their food when it comes to keto. Um, yeah, when it comes to is, stuff like sugar-free ketchup, do you like? Are you good with that, or like what's? Well, you know, yeah, I mean, here's the thing. You know, you've got your you've got your strict keto people out there that say, "Oh, you can't, you know, you can't use stevia, you can't use some of these things." Uh, I haven't really read or seen a whole lot of studies that actually shows where stevia or some of these are not stevia, but 
uh, sucralose or aspartame, they actually kick you out of, of ketosis, right? right. Uh, are they healthy for you in high quantities? Probably not. But, you know, right. I'm not a mouse taking a thousand times what a human would take. So, you know, I'm not too worried about it. Uh, so, you know, using some of the artificial sweeteners and artificial sugars, they're not going to hurt you. It can be a misconception out there that, hey, you can't sweeten stuff. But there's so many things out there that you can use instead. I mean, the stevia that I was talking about, which is actually good for you, there's monk fruit now. Of course, and you've got xylitol, erythritol. Uh, and so you're, you'll see a lot of your low sugar or sugar-free things now. They're starting to actually move erythritol over into those versus the aspartame or the sucralose or uh, the Splenda, you know. Right, uh, yeah. But there's, there's a lot of really good foods out there. I mean, you can get the sugar-free ketchup now. There's all kinds of barbecue sauces. Most of those are being based in erythritol and stevia. Um, so I'm a big advocate for that. There's absolutely no health impact negatively. If anything, it's good because you're cutting the sugars out. Um, right. And, it's, and it's, it's not a chemical sweetener. It's actually a natural plant-based sweetener. Uh, right. So I'm for it. Yeah, I mean, if you, anytime that you can switch from a high-sugar uh, product, whatever it would be, to or high-carbohydrate product to a very low-carbohydrate product, non-chemical, I'm all for it. Yeah. So, you know, that's, I, I get a lot of our patients switching over to those and diet products that are based with the erythritol and stevia as opposed to the sucralose or Splenda or aspartame. Yeah. Ketchup's a big one. People don't realize how much sugar ketchup has. Oh, my God, so much. Yeah. It's, it's like loaded. a tablespoon. Yeah. That's why kids love it. <laughs> it's the yeah, secondary. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> food source for, for Americans is ketchup. But, you know, it's unbelievable how much sugar is in it and people don't realize. And then you get into, I mean, a lot of the salad dressings have sugar and carbs in it too. And right. then they have the saturated fats. So a lot of it just gets down to reading labels. And so, you know, but here's the thing. If it comes to having regular ketchup loaded with sugar or ketchup that's a ketchup with Splenda in it, I'm going to say use the ketchup with Splenda. Right. Yeah. I'm saying, you know, when you look at the health benefits to having the high sugar in your, in your diet and the insulin resistance and the, and the other things that it can cause for over a long period of time, especially diabetic or whatever, then, you know, yeah, use the, the low sugar product for sure. Um, could you eat, can you like, what are your tips? Um, if let's say you want to go out and eat and, but you don't want to go off, let's say you're on a keto diet, you don't want to get off your diet. Um, what are some of your tips for helping someone stay in ketosis when they go out to eat? Or do you think it's just more beneficial to say, you know, pick one night of the week. If you're going out with somebody, you know, go and, you know, have that cheat meal and then maybe fast the next day for, you know, 16 hours and then try to get back into your diet. Or is there a way to stay in ketosis when you're going out to eat? You know, that's one of those things you got, I think you got to decide ahead of time. The problem with the cheat meal is that when you think about it, some people it's going to take 48 hours to get back into ketosis. Right. But you have your cheat meal and then 48 hours later, you're only in, you know, ketosis three to four days of the week. Yeah. So it's very costly. You know, when you start looking at a cheat meal, weekly cheat meal for patients, uh, when you look at overall aspects of health and trying to change that, uh, the weekly cheat meal is very detrimental. That's the problem. Mm -hmm. So a lot of it's going to be, you know, going out and just trying to make specific adaptations. And so many of the restaurants now, because keto has become the end thing, I mean, it's, it's the hot diet. Right. As well as the carnivore diet and some of these others. But, you know, if you can go out there and just ask most of them, it's just going to be eliminating something, whether it be eliminating the breadsticks, you know, the breadsticks or the croutons out of a salad or some of the other things. Um, there's really very few restaurants now you can't go out and eat and have, you know, and, and stay with the keto diet. Now, if you're going to 
Dairy Queen, it's going to be real difficult. (laughs) (laughs) There's some ice creams out there. I mean, there are now. I mean, there's plenty of ice creams out there that are keto approved diet, you know, type of ice creams, diet way of eating kind of things. But, you know, are you going to find those at the general type of restaurant or even the nice restaurants? No. So some of those things you're just going to have to say, this is not something I can do. Um, but then some of them are going to be fine. It just depends. Um, but it's going to be educating yourself about that restaurant before you go out and try to decide what you're going to eat ahead of time. Don't get there and try to make your mind up. Right. What I always tell the patients, you know, or my patients, I'll be like, listen, that's fine. Go out and eat with your family. But if you know where you're going to go, decide what you're going to eat before you get there. Right. And then kind of educate yourself and know, because that's the one thing. I mean, you know, like our family, when I was doing strict keto, um, you know, the big thing for birthdays, everybody, ha- you have ice cream cake, right? And so what I would do is those days where I might fast the day before, keep my carbohydrates unbelievably low, right, if any at all. And then getting back into ketosis afterwards, fast for 16 hours, do intermittent fasting, maybe two days, back into ketosis really quick. Um, but then what I'd also do is segment my calories for those days because, you know, you have ice cream cake, it's a tremendous amount of calories. So, but, you know, you're talking about, you know, we've, we've got six people in our family. So you're talking six days out of the year that, you know, I'm blowing it. So, so what if I take 48 hours to get back into ketosis? Not a big deal. But when you start looking at cheat meals on a weekly basis, it makes it really difficult. I mean, you'll make progress, but it's going to be much slower. And that's the thing. You'll still make progress, but you're going to see that progress be much slower than other people doing the keto diet or keto way of eating. And a lot of, a lot of times they'll get discouraged. Well, how come I'm not doing that? Well, it's because you're not really sticking to the diet the way that it's meant to be. Right. And a lot of it just comes down to education. I mean, but there's, you know, so many of the restaurants – I mean, you can order, you know, the, you know, what do they call it, like the naked sandwiches now, and you can, you know, all of these things coming with lettuce wraps and things like yeah, that. For sure. And, and are there some, you know, you know, a lot of the restaurants is difficult when you get into your, you know, let's say your dessert meals. It can be pretty difficult to eat desserts out. Now, you can make them at home really easy and take them with you. I mean, there's nothing. Take some fat bombs with you or make some um, keto type cheesecake that you could take with you. Or, I mean, there's things that you could actually take with you that, Hey, just take it out and eat it when everybody else is eating something. Um, you know, that's, that's the thing that you've got to learn to do, uh, or just say, you know, drink your coffee and, uh, enjoy that with, you know, your bulletproof coffee that you might have some, you know, stevia in and some half and half or some, um, uh, heavy, you know, heavy whipping cream. And you just enjoy that with the coffee. Well, the people, and that's what a lot of patients I'll have to do is like, listen, if you're a coffee drinker, that's the time you drink your coffee. Put the heavy whipping cream in, put some uh, stevia you take with you in, uh, you know, and drink that and make your coffee your dessert. And then, um, you know, or take food with you, you know, but right. a lot of times it's going to be difficult just on the dessert side, as far as a restaurant goes, eating out and staying in that, that keto way of eating. Right. Yeah. I mean, also, you know, it's not a, you know, it's black coffee. It's not, you know, vanilla cappuccino from Starbucks. Right. Yeah. It's black coffee, but you can put the heavy whipping cream in, right. you know, maybe a little half and half if you don't have heavy whipping cream. But, you know, and then you, you can get your MCT oil in there, which adds a little bit of flavor, butter in there, which adds a little flavor. And of course, then, like I said, if you put stevia, or you know, it's all kinds of sugar-free sweeteners out there now. I mean, you can get caramel, caramel flavoring put in. Yeah, there's so many syrups syrups out there that are sugar-free now. So you could have a dessert coffee very easily while other people are eating dessert food. And so that's that's a solution that really is is very doable for a lot of people. Let's talk about bodybuilding uh, for a minute uh, towards the end of here. Um, 
so like I said at the beginning of the podcast, um, Darren, last year, um, at the end of last year at the Mystery Universe competition, got his pro card. He is now an IFBB pro. It's a good um, feeling, yeah. <laughs> yeah. After, 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 like, well, you really didn't even compete that long. You, you know what I mean? Like, you're you're in the older class, but you've only competed for what, like, two years? Yeah, not even quite two years. Yeah. Yeah, it's like a year and a half. Yeah, because I remember yeah. your first show. Um, yeah. So it was yeah, it was the, the Mountaineer Classic there in, in yeah Charleston. Right. Was that was that twenty twenty nineteen? Yeah, the end of 2018. Yeah, end of 2018. Okay. Yep. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I mean, that's that's kind of a crazy timeline just to jump in. But you've been working out obviously for well, a long time. Yeah, right. I mean, I was a competitive, I was a competitive uh, CrossFit Games athlete. I uh, got ranked in that. Then I went to Spartan races, was ranked in that, and actually really got to the point where I made it to my age group for top four percent in the world. And so it was going to be become a runner, which I hate to do and train running to be able to get better and to compete in that top 3% or change my sport. Right. And so I, was like, I hate running that much. I changed the sport. So, <laughs> <laughs> <Wow>. Yeah. <laughs> that was the thing because the guys that were the top 3%, you know, and above were they're runners. You look at them and go, that guy's a runner, right? Yeah. They're, they're runners that have a strong upper body to compete in the, the obstacles and the events you've got to get through to get through the Spartan races, but they're runners. And yeah. so that's the big issue. So I was like, yeah, I'm not going to become a runner. I don't like running that much. I love training CrossFit, cross training kind of thing, which you can build up phenomenal endurance that, you know, 17, 18 mile race isn't that bad. But then when you want to be the top in the world and have, you know, sponsorships and this and that, you've got to train as a runner because you look at time then and that makes a big right. difference. Yeah. And so that for me was the big change. And someone's like, well, yeah, I didn't know what I wanted to do just because I'm so competitive about stuff. And it's all or nothing for me, no matter what I do. I mean, I like right. to get good at whatever I'm doing. Somebody's like, well, you ought to go into physique you know, competition. I was like, well, I could do that. And then the eye-opener was I'd actually, uh, you know, Taylor still passed it in his power-up. Um, I talked to him. He's like, hey, talk to this one trainer. And I sent him pictures. He's like, dude, he's like, yeah, you look great. But he's like, you're not even close to getting on stage. I'm like, what? <laughs> but, you know, yeah. It got me I was, I was kind of pissed, to be honest, that, you know, right. this guy's telling me, he's like, dude, yeah, you got a great physique, but you can't even compete. And I'm like, that got my fires running. You know, basically it was you know, telling me, like, you're not even close. I was like, I'm gonna, you know, I just, it was one of those, well, I'm going to show you kind of things. And so, um, and that's how I got into it. I was like, I'm going to do this. I'm going to win something and I'm going to be able to, I want to do really well at it. And so I went from a very low body fat, but not a high muscle mass to keeping body fat. You've changed significantly since I first met you for sure. So I went, I was competing in Spartan races, 174 to 180 pounds. I'm running 225 now and body fat's not a whole lot different. Right. Right. Huge difference, but then huge difference in eating, huge difference in training. Uh, it was a complete lifestyle change for me because, you know, you go from uh, not worrying about calories as much all the time as training your endurance to now. I mean, it's food is a huge thing. And so it's a whole different lifestyle, whole different process of training. The training is completely different. So, yeah, big, big change for me. Um, and then it was one of those just learning that, you know, for me, it was just getting over the fact I've got to eat so much. You know, going from being an endurance athlete to eating this much was a, it was a whole mindset for me of I've got to eat more. I didn't want to, eat, I was afraid of getting fat, right? Right. Not realizing that if you eat the right types of food, change your training around, time your food perfectly, you can get a whole lot bigger 
body fat doesn't change. If anything, it can drop because you're going to add so much muscle metabolism in by adding the amount of muscle that you do um, that it all ends up in a wash. But it's definitely a whole different mindset for sure. Right. Yeah. I mean, um, I think that when it comes to bodybuilding, it's just something that's so obscure to the general population, even still today. I mean, there's still, there's, there's now, there's obviously, it's a lot more mainstream than it used to be, right? I mean, there's yes. a lot of Instagram stuff that people are, you know, people are much more familiar with, um, you know, especially like stuff like men's physique, which is a little bit more of a streamlined, um, you know, division inside of bodybuilding. So it's not so much, you know, large amounts of muscle mass. Um, so I think it's not so much as intimidating as the bigger guys that you see a lot of times, you know, on the Mr. Olympia stage, but, um, so it's kind of like made it, you know, more streamlined, you know, for the general population, but I, I think it's still, um, very obscure to most people. And most the perception people has changed no right, to me. right. Because I mean, you know, they, people used to think bodybuilders, these great big meatheads that could barely move around. Right. right. <laughs> now you've got all these classic guys, you know, the classic competitive guys, it's a very streamlined look, like you said. Uh, I think the physique guys kind of are more like the Ken doll look, you know, big, you know, big upper chest, small waist. Then you get into the classic guys, which is kind of like the, you know, how Arnold used to look with the big upper body, pretty big legs, but everything very symmetrical. Right. Then, then you get into the monsters of mass, the actual real bodybuilders that I mean, are just huge that you, you know, they almost look like genetic freaks because of the amount of muscle they've got on. Right. And that's well, what yeah, they, are. To, they are. For sure. <laughs> for sure. But, yeah, that's what people used to think that's all bodybuilding was. Right. Different divisions out there and the popularity and the visibility that it's gaining, people are starting to look at bodybuilders as a completely different type of athlete and actually probably give them and, and really give them the respect that they deserve for how difficult it is to get on stage and be in that condition. Yeah. I, I think that's what I was going to say. I think that's one of the most common misconceptions that people have is like, so, and I don't even know, I didn't know this was a misconception just until like this week. So like I said, um, I'm doing a little competition thing. Uh, the company that I work with, Fit Crew, uh, we have a 60-day competition transformation challenge going on right now. Uh, me and another trainer at the gym, um, Sebastian, who's also a close friend of mine, we're doing like our little own little, you know, transformation competition thing between us two to see if right. we can get leaner. Oh, yeah. Um, so, yeah. So, because it's not really fair to compete against, you know, our clients and that kind of stuff. You know what I mean? Because got kind of have a little bit of, yeah, advantage. So, um, <laughs> yes. <laughs> so, you know, we're kind of like, you know, it's between, you know, us two, we're trying to, you know, really duel it out right now. So, um, one thing that I didn't know was a common misconception that someone asked me today, they saw me doing, uh, I think it was like, or maybe it was a couple of days ago, they saw me doing cardio um, on the treadmill. And I was thinking the off season, I, I don't do cardio. Like you won't see me doing cardio in the off season just because my metabolism is so high. And you like, don't have to, right. Yeah, I don't have to do cardio in the off season. And if I did, I wouldn't grow. I have a hard enough time growing anyways in the off season, eating as much food as I do. If I added cardio into that, I'd have to eat more food and it'd just be a disaster. So (laughs) basically for me, what I do is I keep the cardio little to none in the off season. So that way when I start a diet, um, as soon as I add in, I can add in like five to 10 minutes of cardio the first couple of weeks. And just that little bit of cardio is going to make drastic changes to my physique because it's like so like the body like hasn't seen me doing something like that in so long. Well, you're not adapted to it. Right. That's you. Yeah, exactly. That's the thing. It's a brand new stimulus 
um, or stressor, I guess you would say. Uh, and so your body's got to react to that and, it, and it's not used to it whatsoever. You're not adapted to it. So you're going to have a much more effective, um, I guess, result from that 10 minutes of cardio that because you haven't been doing it at all and you're, you're yeah, throwing that zero. <laughs> right. yeah. And it makes a huge, and that was something for me to get over of, of cutting my cardio back. That's what I, it got. I, it was very difficult for me to learn. Like, listen, you've got to learn to sit down. You've got to learn to watch your calories. You've got to learn to, Hey, I'm doing too much. Cause when you're trying to build muscle, very few, there's a lot of things you, you can do that will affect that output of that muscle growth. I mean, you don't realize, hey, you know, you go and work out for two hours and you go home and do farm work for two hours throwing pay bells around. You're in a caloric deficit. You've got <laughs> yeah, that's for you're, sure. Yeah. You're not going to grow muscle, right? And so for me, so I can't do cardio on top of that. And so that for me was just always that I have to do cardio, I have to do cardio, I have to do cardio. And once I got out of that mindset, then when I do cardio, it's a lot more effective for me because my body isn't used to it. Right. And it does make a big difference. And, you know, there's some people that, you know, that are easy losers. I'm, genetically, I'm, I'm very gifted in the fact and very thankful that I can lose the weight easy, but it's very difficult right. for me to get. Yeah. You know, that yeah. takes a lot of time, a lot of eating, a lot of dedication in the gym. You can't miss a day. Right. Uh, but then when I put the weight on, it's easy to get off. But, you know, so it's a blessing and a curse kind of thing. But the big thing for me was the mentality of I have to do cardio. You know, if I don't do cardio, I'm going to get fat. Right. And so you know, I'm going to put on body fat that I don't want. I'm going to have to shed it off later. And so that was a huge thing. And so, yeah, it is a big misconception out there that, you know, you've got to do cardio all the time. You've got to do this. And, you know, or, the, you know, they think that bodybuilders, you know, don't do any. Well, they, yeah, that's, that was the misconception with me is they said, they looked at me and they said, they go, are you doing cardio? And I was like, yeah. And they go, I didn't think I didn't think you did cardio when you were a bodybuilder. I'm like, what? <laughs> where, yeah. did, where, where did this come from? Like, you do understand what we have to look like on stage? Like, you have to be like subhuman levels of body fat. You realize that? I'm like, it's you not can't get there without cardio. Yeah. Right, you can't. No. <laughs> you can't get there if you can. I mean, I'm sure there's. I I won't say I won't say you can't because I'm, I, there's probably you know some person out there um, who can yeah, get there. No magic pill for Yeah, and there's no. no magic pill for that. Yeah, there is nothing you can take to get you that lean. It's just pure effort. Yeah, 100%. Yeah, so that was like the big surprise, I think, for people like seeing um, me doing cardio. Is like, I, was like, I didn't know that people actually, you know, or this person in particular, maybe it's maybe it's all, I don't know how many people believe or think this, but they didn't think that bodybuilders did cardio. So I was like, oh, no, like it's, you know, it's definitely a part. Obviously, I'm not, you know, running, I'm not running sprints and running, you know, five-mile um, you know, no, jogs down the streets, different type, oh, yeah. right. You know, it's that low intensity, just concentrating on burning fat, keeping your heart rate in that zone. Yeah. And so, yeah, it's a, a different type of cardio. I mean, that's definitely a misconception that's out there. Um, you know, and I think then the other, well, you may be wanting to touch on this at some point. The other one I get into these two with people all the time is, well, everybody that's a bodybuilder just takes massive amounts of steroids and that's the way they <laughs> are. Yeah, so but, let's go but, ahead and jump into that yeah, real quick. Don't so understand, it doesn't matter what you take if you're not if you're not outputting the work, <laughs> putting the work in in the gym. There's no magic pill, and it doesn't matter. You know, there's no magic pill to take fat off. There's no magic pill to grow muscle. You've got to put the work in. You've got to do the time. You've got to do the cardio. You've got to do the weight training. You know, that's the big misconception is that oh well, they're they're just they're built the way they are. Their physiques the way because they're just they're, they're overdosed on steroids. <laughs> yeah. It doesn't yeah. work that way. I wish. Right. They, yeah. They worked that yeah, way. Yeah, everybody body better wishes they worked right. that way. Yeah. But they just yeah. don't. There is no magic pill. You know, just because you take a pill doesn't mean your physique ends up being the way it is on stage. 
Right. So, yeah. So now that we brought that up, um, let's talk about steroids. Obviously, like I said, big topic right now, just, you know, on, on social media. It, it seemed like in the, in the past couple months, like I haven't, and I don't know if it's just because I've like, you know, gotten bigger just slowly over time. And now it's finally like coming around to me. But when I started and, you know, when I, when I was just initially, when I started, I was just doing fitness modeling and I was just kind of, you know, I looked more, I had like more of like a leaner look. You know, I wasn't so bulked up in the off season. I wasn't, was big. I wasn't as big. Yeah. Right. And, um, you know, even like when I was doing my first show and, you know, all that stuff. And even when I was actually prepping for the Arnold this, you know, last year, um, I didn't get it so much. But it seems like the past couple of months, all of a sudden now, it's like everything I comment on, everything, you know, I'll comment on a political post, you know, on Instagram. You know, I'll say something that somebody said. It's completely unrelated to bodybuilding. They'll, they'll look at my profile, they'll scan and look at my profile, yeah. and, and they'll just go, steroids. That's, like, oh, that yeah. was, that's the reply. Yeah. <laughs> like, you know, I don't know where this comes from. And, uh, you know, even if I leave, like, you know, I'll leave a, on, a, on a meme page on Instagram, I'll leave a comment. It's a funny comment, and somebody will go and, like, look at my page and, you know, and say, wow, steroids must give you a lot of confidence. Like, it seems like lately in the past few months, it's like all of a sudden it's like coming out of nowhere. Like people are like hitting me um, with this. And it, it, it's funny because like, I'm never someone that's even come out and like tried to um, hide the fact or, you know, claim that I was natural or anything like that right. or, or tried to deceive people. If like, you can even say that I deceive people. I mean, like, I don't even know what that even means. Um, right. How can you, how can you even deceive someone just because you look a certain way? I mean, like, um, just because, you know, someone, you know, I'm not using my body. I think it's what another misconception about bodybuilders who do the things that we do. Right. So we do like, we have this sport that we do and we love, but it's not part of our profession. Right. It's right. not our it's job. Different. Yes, exactly. So it, we're not using bodybuilding like some people might be, I guess. Um, we're not using it to, sell our platform to be like this is what you know we're interested in, in the platform that we work on because it also ends up correlating with what we do in our sport as well right. so i think it all has like a correlation and that's why we're in this field is because like it all kind of runs together for in a sense for us so you know we have this strong interest in just that general subject to begin with and you know and then we get kind of involved in doing these professions and, um, you know, I think people don't understand. It's like when I post a picture of my physique, um, you know, I'm, I'm not trying to sell you a program or sell you on my coaching uh, for my physique. You know, my work and my experience and my knowledge, you know, that speaks for itself. That's, that's on a different level um, that, you know, speaks for, that's why people hire me as a coach. It's not because I look the way, it's right. not because I look the way I do. Um, it's and not, I, yeah. Right. And I don't try to use my physique um, you're, you're obviously not using your physique to sell your chiropractic practice. Right. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, and I think, cause like, obviously like you're not going to lose any business if you were any smaller, um, you know, no, as a chiropractor. Uh, yeah. And so like, and it, same thing for before, me. Maybe if I was a little chubby. <laughs> right. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. It, same thing for me. It's like, I'm not going to yeah. lose. Like I still have my knowledge that people are going to hire me for that purpose. And not just because I look a certain way. Um, you know, I, I look the way I do because I love what I do. And that's not like it has nothing to do with adding it into my profession. And I think people don't understand that. They think that, 
Um, it's all you know, tied together. Yeah, we, yeah, it's all tied together in that we're using uh, steroids to lie to people to give them a. Um, <laughs> you no, know, and you'll see that. I mean, yeah, especially illusion. Yeah, the younger crowd now. I mean, you know, they've got they see these these bodies and these physiques on Instagram, and they go, "I want to look like that," but they they don't realize what that is is not natural. Right. That yeah. person didn't get that way because they do everything completely healthy and because they're completely natural. And the other thing they don't get is that person looks that way for probably two weeks for a photo shoot. 100%. And then they look completely different, you know, six, you know, six weeks before and after that. Right. And so there's this, the stressor out there. Of course, then you've got people using their physique that absolutely are on steroids and, and, you know, enhanced, you know, physique enhancing drugs and yet they're saying, you can do this naturally. We'll help you. And no, you can't. You know what I mean? And so that, that's the aspect, I think, that, that really comes back as a negative against kind of the profession is the fact that sometimes it's looked at as it's used to sell things that aren't attainable for the normal person unless they're willing to go to the extremes. Right. You know, because there's just some people that it doesn't matter what you and I took. We're not going to look like that. We don't have the capability. We don't have the genetics. Right. Knowledge base to know that, but the normal person doesn't. Right. You know, when someone says you can look like me if you just eat this way and follow my program and, and work out the way I do, 99% of the chance you're not going to be able to look like that. 100%. Yeah. And so yeah. that's what people, that's why that's, that's the problem. That's the battle that we face is the fact that you've got the, the, those types of individuals out there that are kind of like hoeing out the profession, trying to make money by saying you can look like us when there's no way the general population can. So, so that's. I'm oh, sorry. What do, you, what do you think is the problem, though, when it comes to like Hollywood actors who transform for a role, um, who may or may not be using anabolic steroids, who don't or possibly do talk about it? Most of them won't talk about it, um, even if it's, they're just taking TRT. What do you think it is that gets under people's skin so much that makes them want to like come after these guys, um, you know, to go and try to attack them on their social media and make all these posts about them. And, um, well, I mean, they're glamorized so much. I mean, you know, you look at you and I, I mean, if I didn't have to work 12 hours a day as a chiropractor and all, and I had somebody that was doing my diet, doing my prescription protocol of whatever it would be, right. uh, doing my supplements for me. And all I had to do was work, worry about working out and changing my physique you and I'd have a whole lot different physique than what we've got now. And we've been the weeks that we've got. So I think yet they're glamorized, but yet they're, they're, you know, they're kind of, I don't want to say that, you know, it's, it's kind of like the, they're, they're babysat into where they're at. You know, they're given this, they're just really glamorized for it, but yet that's, that's all that they had to do. You know, whereas the normal Joe's got to go work eight to 10 hours a day, monitor their food somehow during that period of time, find a way to work out, find a way to see his kids, spend time with his wife, do whatever you've got to do around the house and what other normal things where these guys in Hollywood, that's all they do. Right. I mean, they paid a million dollars to have a physique that looks and they (laughs) six months to do it. And that's all they do. Yeah. So people get agitated because you got, you know, you got, you know, guys like, you know, Mark Wahlberg, whatever, on the cover of Men's Health, look at the change in physique. Well, yeah, if I had all day and nothing else to do and somebody else was paying for it. Right. Yeah. I think that's the thing. I think that's why they catch so much flack and they they don't, and they don't want to admit that there's other things, there's (laughs) enhancing aspects of it that they take and look at somebody's transformation and know if they added 30 pounds in six weeks, 
or eight weeks. You know what I mean? It's like it's not humanly possible unless you've got an aide in there that, that's helping you do that. And they won't admit it. Yeah. And, and so I, I think, like, there's there's um, something there. I think there's, you know, I'm sure there's, you know, aspects there of jealousy for some people, too, that they look at those guys and they, they just want to find a reason. It's like why these people do these natty or not videos on YouTube. It's like I think people just sometimes, too, like want to find a reason to look at someone and say, um, even if the person hasn't even come out and said they're not like like me, like I, I don't, I you know, I just don't talk about it generally, like on my social media, um, you know, just because it's not. First of all, it's not my profession. You know, my profession is centered around health and wellness. Um, right, and that's my your profession concern. is not not to talk about anabolic steroids. Now, I do talk about that with specific people because um, I do have an expertise in that um, when it comes to manipulating those things. Um, and I have those specific people that reach out to me and, you know, want advice about those things, but it's not something that I sell as like this, this is what what I do. do. Right. Right. So like, but like, then you get these people that come for me and like, you know, other people, you know, and try to say that, you know, um, I, that I'm, you know, being dishonest because I'm not coming out and openly talking about it. It's like, I think sometimes like people just like they want to find a reason to look at someone else's physique who looks better than them and just give themselves a reason as to why they don't look like that. So I think steroids is an easy out for them. To well, say, it makes them I don't take steroids. They don't look as look as good as the person that, that they're jealous of, right? Right. Yeah. It makes them feel better about themselves. Well, I can't look like that like that because they're on steroids. Right. Not the fact that they want to sit down and eat Twinkies at night and you know. <laughs> right. And, and go to McDonald's and eat the McDonald's pancakes with, you know what I'm saying? That they don't want to look at that aspect of it and go, okay, wait a minute. Let me self-criticize here. Right. You know, yeah. Yeah. That, cause that's the hard thing. It's really, it's a lot harder to look at yourself and criticize yourself and say, you know what? There's a lot I need to change and be very critical of yourself than to be critical of somebody else. Okay. That That's the easy part. You know, when okay. you can justify or rationalize how, why you don't look like them because of what they did, as opposed to what you're not doing. So, yeah, I would agree with you completely. I think there's some jealousy aspects in there for sure. There's no doubt. Why do you think there's such a large misconception? Why do you think the media, for one reason, tries to vilify anabolic steroids so hard? Why do you think there's this strong, strong common misconception around roid rage? Yeah, you know, and it's just that you hear roid rage, right? You hear that. You'll hear all these other things and how bad it is, but yet they don't really look at the science, Right. You know, the science shows that guys in their 50s and 60s that have a normal, healthy uh, testosterone level, let's say seven, 800, cardiovascular-wise, pulmonary-wise, metrics-wise, are much healthier individuals than somebody who's got a testosterone level of 250, 300. Right. They're healthy. Right. I mean, they sleep better. They've got, they've got better lives. They're happier. Um, and they don't want to look at what the science says and what you look at longevity and what the, the studies show. But they just want to vilify it because of a couple. It's just like, you know, you've got a few bad apples that can spoil the whole group. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, but that's all we've ever heard. I mean, anybody that has heard talk of, of steroids, you always hear Roy, that always comes up. Yeah. But, yeah, yeah. you know, how often do you actually hear if somebody was on steroids and they went out and shot up a bunch of people? Never or that they, yeah. they went and killed somebody because they were on this, you know, John Doe went and killed somebody at Hardy's because they were on steroids. Yeah, no. it, it, you just don't. There's no evidence out there, but yet, you know, they want to vilify it so bad. But I think it's because they think that it's just an easy way. They think that steroids literally are like a magic pill. 
and they just don't realize that, yeah, you might be taking that, but unless you take that and put the effort out, you don't gain anything from it. Right. I always said like steroids are, are like a key that unlocks a door, right? So like right. you have these doors that you unlock um, when you're natural, and then when you reach a certain point, you know, these doors stay locked that are above you. And unless you want to reach those levels, you have to have the key to unlock those levels, right? And it's like anabolic steroids give you the ability to be able to go and reach those levels. But like you said, if you do nothing and don't put in any extra effort, which they're allowing you to do, then you're never going to open those doors. They might be unlocked, but you're never going to go through them or open them. Right. Well, I think it's so many people think, hey, I take steroids, you grow muscle. No, they don't recover. recover. That's not right, that they're a recovery issue, that you, you take steroids and you can recover faster, which means you're allowed to put in more work, which means you can grow more. Right. And I think that's part of it is they think that it literally is just this magic pill that you take, you grow more muscle, you become super aggressive, and therefore you can go to the gym, work out more, and, and you might beat somebody to death <laughs> you know, in the process of it. So, you know, they just don't understand. It's just that they don't know the science. It's just one of those things that how it originally got the, the bad name, how the bad, you know, reputation, I don't know. Well, I, think those, those, I think those ex-cons that were training up at White Plains uh, YMCA, <laughs> New York, I think they, uh, I think they kind of ruined the, you know, Charlie those Arms and those guys back it, in the yeah. day. Yeah, they, you know, they were sl- slinging plates across each other at the gym and stuff, <laughs> you know, and, you know, and knocking some guy out because he he screams too hard, you know, next to him, and uh, you know, like it, that's not that's not every bodybuilding gym. That's actually like no bodybuilding gym that I've that's ever been no to. No bodybuilding right? gym. Yeah. Most of the time, you go into a bodybuilding gym like. You don't. You won't even like. People think. I think like they think like if you go into a bodybuilding gym and you're a regular person, that everyone's gonna be in there judging you. It's like I think it's the totally opposite, right? Because if you go into a bodybuilding gym, bodybuilders are what they're so intrinsically focused on themselves. They're focused on what they're doing. They're not focused on what you're doing at all. They don't care what you're doing. Right. <laughs> so like, if anything, you're probably gonna be judged more if you go to more of like a you know a club aspect that kind of stuff. You know, then they're gonna be like those kind of people are gonna be looking at what are you what what are you wearing, you know, who you are, yeah, like trendy. right. Yeah, right. That's, that's the big thing. Yeah. I mean, you and I both know I go in the gym, I wanna get go in and do one thing. I wanna go in, get my work done and get out. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I don't care what Jim Bob is over there doing that looks stupid. I don't care yeah. if you care. <laughs> I don't care what somebody wears. I don't care. Yeah, you know, it doesn't matter to me. Now if somebody wants if somebody comes up and asks me for help, I'll you know me. I'm glad to help them. I'll be glad yeah. to sit down and talk with anybody. But as far as what they're doing, what their workout is, how they look, I could care less because I've got a job to do. Right. And, and most people don't don't see that. That yeah, you're going to be probably you're going to be least judged in a bodybuilding gym because of the focus that's going on around you, as opposed to you go into Planet Fitness or somewhere else where, you know, you've got all the you know the trendy you know that's it's just one of those gym you know where you go to a gym and somebody's there for two years and they look the same as what they did two years ago. Right. You know, that's yeah. the thing. They're, they're not making changes. They're not, they're there to be there, but they're not really there to make changes in their health. And they're, you know, they're there to say, Hey, I go to planet fitness and work out yeah. and wear this badge of honor, but they're not really there to make, to really do the work and make the change in their health and their wellness that they need to be doing. No, it's a quick for sure. It's it's a quick. Quick. Sure. There's no doubt. Yeah. There is no doubt about it. All right, man. I want to thank you so much. I'm going to go ahead and wrap this interview up. I think it was a great interview. A lot of useful information here. Um, you know, I think it was cool to get someone else on um, who's also, you know, into bodybuilding, you know, same thing I'm, you know, into. So um, it's cool to kind of, you know, bounce those things off and, and that way people can learn more about that side of me as well and not just so much, you know, center around like, you know, 
the aspect of, of just science. So kind of right. like throwing in more of like what the average person can learn in there too. So I think this was a really great time. Um, so glad you came on. Thanks so much for spending your time I with me. Appreciate it. Yeah, anytime. We'll have to get on have a big discussion about thyroid next time because then you yes, get my yeah, for sure. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, yeah. Because you know that's my little that's my little pet peeve and and the the issue I, I face so much in this area with doctors and stuff is so. At some point, we'll have to definitely get on and have that discussion too. What I want to do is I want to get eventually. I want to get like a have a podcast where I have about three or four people on, and what I'll do is I want to be like a moderator. And have about you know three or four different experts um, on hormones on you know from oh, other types. So I want to yeah. have a fe- female for female you know or female viewers, yeah. um, you know, and, and you know performance stuff, you know that performance person. Um, so like you know I'll, yeah, I would love to have you on for that and just kind of like go over all those aspects of things and I you know and that way you know we can all you know kind of bounce off ideas off each other and I can just kind of ask you guys questions and that's something that. I think we're going to do here um, in the in the future. So I'll definitely have you back on for that for sure. Yep, because that would definitely that would help so many people eliminate the struggles that they're having as far as gaining weight or losing weight. And it's just yeah. such a misnomer out there, and so many doctors just don't treat it, and they it's so undertreated. I mean, you think the average of what I think I just read the other day, it's like most people go ten years before they're diagnosed with thyroid dysfunction. Ten years they've got to right. suffer with. Yeah, so, you know, it's one of those things that's definitely that we need to cover as as healthcare professionals. Health and wellness. No, yeah, I, I totally agree. I mean, I have, yeah, that's one of the reasons that I was looking at trying to prescribe myself just because, you know, and I had people, you know, it's so hard to get someone to prescribe somebody thyroid hormone replacement. Like, so oh, yeah. Hard. It's it's work. It's, yeah. it's a little puzzle that you've got to sit there and think about, and it takes time. Yeah. So, you know, and right. that's the thing, but yet you can have the greatest impact on people's lives, but yet they just don't want to do it. Right. And, you know, it's safe. There, there's just, again, it's kind of like, well, there's so many misnomers and misconceptions about treating thyroid out there. Mm-hmm. It's just because people don't want to do the work and educate themselves about it, especially the physicians. Right. You know, it's definitely one of those things that's definitely close to my heart and we'll have to get on and have a good discussion about. Yeah, for sure. I'll definitely have you on for that. Um, I'm excited about that. Cool. Um, again, thank you so much. Uh, can't wait to have you back on for that. And, um, you know, it's nice to sit down and talk with you. It's been a while since yeah, we had a chance to, to talk. So nice yeah, catching up. And uh, we'll, uh, until next time, thank you guys so much. This is Generation Alpha Podcast. Again, I'm your host, Dan Fazer. You're here with my guest, Dr. Darren Vanskoy. Thanks, Dan. Appreciate it, buddy. Good night, guys. Have a great weekend.